Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. The title of today's podcast is, So You're Saying There's a Chance? According to a recent UK survey, people feel guilty on average three times per week for a period of six hours and 36 minutes. Can you believe that? Six hours and 36 minutes of feeling guilty each week. Guilt is defined as the fact or state of having committed an offense, crime, violation, or wrong, especially against a moral or penal law. Most of us feel guilty for over two hours each time we do something wrong. If you're like me, I reflect on it and dwell on it and try to get past it, and it takes time to process. The number one reason people feel guilty? Giving into some type of craving. Giving into some type of craving. My daughter says that the 80s have the best music. It's funny because I tell my kids that most of the music produced today is like junk food. It might be good for a minute, but let it sit for a bit, and it turns nasty. After all, nobody wants to eat a Big Mac and fries after it has sat for 30 minutes. I view most of the music today like that. But I was out and about recently when I heard a throwback song from the 80s, Don Henley's The End of the Innocence. There's a line in that song that caught my attention and took me back to my teen years. It says, Oh, but I know a place where we can go and wash away the sin. We'll sit and watch the clouds roll by, the tall grass waves in the wind. Speaking of music, what do Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday, a Barack Obama speech, Hamer's civil rights marches, and churches worldwide have in common? All of them featured the song, Amazing Grace. It's undeniably one of the most beloved hymns in the last two centuries. John Newton is the author that penned that poem that was later turned into a song that would captivate millions. It is estimated that Amazing Grace is sang more than 10 million times per year. What you may not know is that few would be hard-pressed to match the level of blasphemy, abhorrent behavior, and sheer hatred and vileness that came from this man. John Newton was born in 1725 near London, England. His mother died of tuberculosis when John was only six years old. Although he spent many days and nights with his mother, given that his father was gone most of the time, as she got sick, John was taken from her and found out about her death two weeks after it had happened. His father was a shipping merchant and 
was often out to sea for years at a time. Consequently, John was sent to a boarding school for two years without a mother and father around. After two years, he went to live with his emotionally distant stepmother. This left John to raise himself. He was later sent to boarding school yet again, where he was constantly mistreated. At the age of 11, he decided to join his father as an apprentice on a ship. While there, John resoundingly denounced his faith, recanted his Christian heritage. In fact, he became so vile and belligerent that most couldn't stand to be around him. After being severely beaten with eight dozen lashes, he contemplated murdering the captain and then committing suicide by hurling himself overboard. In his early years, John Newton would know what close calls to death look like because he had many. He later joined the Royal Navy and deserted to chase after a girl. His punishment? He was denounced and later traded as a crew member on a slave ship. Yes, a slave ship. Thus, John Newton became a slave trader. His stubbornness and disrespect led him to being almost starved to death and chained as a criminal. In fact, his sheer abominable behavior led the captain to sell him as a slave to a British colony. John Newton, who became a slave trader, ended up becoming a slave. He would remain in captivity for more than two years until his father sought to rescue him. On a voyage to return home, the captain said Newton was the worst person he had ever encountered in the slave trade. To all who knew John Newton, he was known as the great blasphemer, mocking others for their faith while deriding and denouncing God as a myth. While traveling home, a violent storm occurred that was so rough that the ship nearly sank. The ship's sails were torn and one side of the ship was destroyed. Soldiers, including John, pumped water out of the ship both day and night just to survive. After day 11, John Newton tried to steer the ship on course. It was during this time that he began to think about eternity, about redemption. He had time to reflect on his life, and just as the ship he was steering had been beaten and battered and was holding on to life, John felt that his life didn't look much different. After two weeks, the battered ship and starving crew landed in Ireland. In the midst of reflection, he wanted to know if there was some way he could be redeemed, some way for him to get right with God and to rid himself of the guilt. John Newton was looking for an answer. Where could he look to find one? The first thing to consider is what options John Newton had. There are 7.3 billion people living on the planet today. Did you know that there are three dominant religions that comprise nearly 70% of the world's religious beliefs? All other religions are in the low single digits. Let me repeat. Three dominant religions comprising nearly 70% of the world's religious beliefs. All other religions are in the low single digits. 
Number three on the list is Hinduism. Hindus represent about 15% of the population. It is primarily practiced in India and Nepal. Given that it is so highly concentrated in one area, I'm not actually going to spend a lot of time on it today. What's important to note is that Hindus believe in one God with 33 smaller gods. Unlike other religions, Hinduism has no historical founder. Hindus believe that heaven is inhabited by those souls who perform good deeds upon earth and earned merit to qualify for their stay. Heaven is a place that is pleasure-oriented. It's a a world in which beings experience unlimited pleasure, but no pain and no death. For Hindus, hell is a dark world. It is filled with evildoers and their relentless cries of pain and agony. They undergo different kinds of torture and punishment because of their bad deeds in their previous lives. For many Hindus, these two worlds, heaven and hell, are as real as their own. The possibility of going to heaven or hell through performing good or bad deeds in this world, coupled with a strong belief in the theory of karma, is what regulates the behavior of an average Hindu and influences his or her code of conduct upon earth. This is according to the Hindu website. Number two on the list is Islam, with 24% of the world's population. If you practice Islam, you are called a Muslim, which means to submit. Muslims believe that the Quran, their holy scriptures, are the verbatim word of God. Islam is primarily centered in North Africa and parts of Asia, predominantly in the Middle East. Muslims believe in heaven and hell. And where one goes is based on how good or bad one has been and the actions one has taken in life. Islam teaches that Allah's word, another name for God, God's word was revealed to the prophet Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. The prophet Muhammad was born in Mecca, Saudi Arabia in nearly 600 AD. Muslims believe he was the final prophet sent by God to reveal their faith to mankind. According to Islamic text and tradition, an angel named Gabriel visited Muhammad in 610 AD while he was meditating in a cave. The angel ordered Muhammad to recite the words of Allah. The Quran mentions the Torah, the Zabur, which are the Psalms, and the Gospels as being revealed by God to the prophets, Moses, David, and Jesus, respectively. Muslims generally view the Bible as having been corrupted, altered over time while maintaining that the Quran remains as the final, unchanged, and preserved Word of God. Realize that the Quran does not mention the Bible but instead mentions many of the books in the Bible. Ishmael is recognized as a patriarch of Islam. Muslims believe that Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham and that Muhammad was a descendant of Ishmael. Coming in at number one is Christianity, 
which represents nearly one-third of the world's population today. It has widespread appeal around the world, excluding the Middle East, where the number of Christians per capita is below 10%. To be a Christian, one believes in individual salvation from sin through receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In short, in order to be in right relationship with God, one must accept that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that Jesus atoned for the sins, our sins, by taking our place. Further, Christians recognize the Bible as the infallible Word of God and that through the act of accepting Jesus as Lord of our lives, that we will live in eternity in heaven with Him while being given the power to serve Him while here on earth. What might blow you away as you think about this is that Islam and Judaism started from the same family. Christianity is an extension or fulfillment of Judaism based upon Jesus Christ, which we will explore more in a moment. Think of it like this. God raised up a man called Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Now to shorten the story, because there's too much to explore with two major religions at once and the fact that I'm hardly qualified, I want to lay a foundation to get to Christianity. What I am about to tell you is both historically and biblically accurate. It's not disputed. Abraham had two sons. One son is Isaac, and the other Ishmael. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. You see where this is going? Jacob is the father of Israel. Abraham also had another son from another woman, and his name is Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs more specifically, North Arabians. Can you see that the two predominant religions came from the same father with two different mothers? The reason these two religions are separate is that they both believe that the promise that they would be a great and mighty nation would come through their line. Isn't that incredible? Nearly six out of ten people in the world accept one of these two religions. Both trace their roots all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Regardless of what you believe, the foundation for the major religions of the world are based on the same beginning and both come through the same line. What's different is that through the line of Israel, God promised to bring a deliverer, a savior to the world. In the Old Testament, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus would be born, God shared through his word that he would send his son to die for mankind. This son would redeem us from our sins and remove our guilt and put us back into relationship with God the Father. We can answer the question that John Newton was asking. How can I be redeemed? Here's the interesting twist in all of this. 
the most viable option for John Newton was Christianity. It's the only place that could wash his slate clean in an instant and give him a fresh start at life. It's the one place that would set his heart right and bring peace. No other major religion forgives like that. Has redemption equal to that? Let's put it this way. All other religions require you to do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. Remember what I shared that the top three religions encapsulate 70% of the world's population. Only one gives you the ability to have a clean slate immediately. This could not have happened with John. He had done so much bad that he couldn't possibly have done enough good things to compensate for his many blasphemies. There's no way John Newton could do enough good deeds for the rest of his life to compensate for all he had done wrong. After all, let's remember what had happened. He cursed God continually. He made fun of others for serving Jesus Christ. He did his dead-level best to turn others away from serving God. Finally, he mistreated and enslaved men, which goes against the very standards of loving our neighbor as ourselves. John Newton was filled with wrong, with bad. Other religions say, do enough good to compensate for the bad, and when you get to the end of your life and you die, That's when you figure out where you're going to go. He had really one option at this point. What is redemption? It carried the meaning of freeing someone from their chains, prison, or slavery. Redemption is the act of buying something back or paying a price or ransom to return something. Redemption through Jesus Christ means that Jesus' sacrificial death purchased believers from the slavery of sin to set us free from that bondage. Jesus himself, the Son of God, said in Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament in Romans 3.23, says, Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. 
God sets things right, he also makes it possible for us to live in his righteousness. Isn't that great? Incredible? See, for those of us who believe, we're justified. It's a free gift without charge by God's grace, his unmerited favor. In the book of Romans, grace is used a record 24 times. A person cannot be deemed righteous without dealing with his sin. That basis is the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Redemption by definition is a ransom payment that is used 10 times in the New Testament. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross paid the price for human sin, which secured release from the bondage and sin for every person who trusts God's promise of forgiveness and salvation. John Newton found his answer along with so many of us. He first needed redemption and then he needed grace. This alone could be found in Jesus Christ and his undying love and sacrifice for all mankind. There's a beautiful verse in Romans chapter 7:23. Paul says, "So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind." and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that incredible? All the things that we do wrong, all the things that happen, and there is a way. There's a way to get redemption and forgiveness. So what is amazing grace all about? By definition, grace is the love and mercy given to us by God, because God desires us to have it, not necessarily because of anything we've done to earn it. We know John Newton didn't. You know Scott Knuckles didn't. I didn't earn anything. I heard an amazing story about a Savior, and I gravitated toward it, and it changed my life. See, there's one place our slates can be completely washed clean, and that's through the man, Jesus Christ. In an instant, we can have a chance to start over, just as John Newton did. Throughout history, God knew that mankind would need a Redeemer, that mankind would need a way to receive forgiveness and to rid ourselves of guilt. God did this by sending His Son to die for mankind. Every one of us have heard the scripture, John 3.16. It's everywhere. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. There's another great scripture that says, If you drink from him, you will never thirst again. 
when we place our trust and our hope in him, something within us changes and the emptiness and the guilt that we live with, it goes away. Isn't it amazing that the anecdote, the prescription for all mankind is to say yes to Jesus? When I opened this podcast, I began by talking about guilt. I listed the top reason we feel most guilty. Did you know that within that top 10 list, one has to do with sin? The article goes on to say that we do all manner of things to try to shed our guilt. We'll volunteer, donate money, we'll do things, we'll change our behavior, we'll we'll try things to shed ourselves of that guilt. But see, the effect our sin has on us and those around us, it affects our relationship with the Father and it creates separation. And when we are in relationship with him, all that goes away and we are empowered to live the life he's called us to. But it's hard when one has done so much in life and they don't feel they can do anything to get relief for all that they've caused. But we all know a place where John had a chance, where a sick man can get better where an ignorant man can get wise, a bad man can be made good, and a dead man can be raised from the dead. We know a place where mercies can be new every morning. So what happened with John Newton when he made that decision to receive amazing grace? After all the heartache Newton faced, he began to ask whether he could be redeemed. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, he said, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. In fact, John Newton called himself a wretch. We read that from the Apostle Paul just a moment ago. A wretch means a scoundrel, despicable person, and worthless. Some wondered if it was hyperbole or he truly meant it. We can say with assurance he meant it. Christopher Smith said, With his hands John Newton enslaved thousands, but with his words helped free millions. John Newton penned that song in 1772. It was published in 1779 as part of a collection of hymns and then made its way to the American colonies. In 1788, 34 years after he had retired from the slave trade, Newton broke a long silence on the subject with the publication of a forceful pamphlet, Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade, in which he described the horrific conditions of the slave ships during the Middle Passage. He apologized for a confession which comes too late. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me, he said, that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. He had copies sent to every member of Parliament, and the pamphlet sold so well that it swiftly required reprinting. Newton became an ally of William Wilberforce leader of the parliamentary campaign to abolish the African slave trade. 
He lived to see the British passage of the Slave Trade Act, enacted in 1807. Ironically, this song, closely associated with the African-American community, was written by a former slave trader. Few other songs have appeared in settings ranging from the halls of royalty to small churches throughout the world. Amazing Grace resonates in its simplicity and depth, its clarity and its hope. It tells a story of redemption born from the life of a man who knew what that meant. It echoes truths we know and truths we want to know. This is why we know it. This is why people love it. This is why it has lasted throughout the last two centuries. Newton is memorialized with a self-penned epitaph on his tomb at Olney. John Newton, it says, Clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton wrote that song because he couldn't believe he could be forgiven for all he'd done. And who would have guessed America's first black president, a historical event that was long in the making, would play a song that fulfilled the goal of a man that thought he was a wretch? Let's hear the words of that song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be, as long as life endures. I opened talking about the song I remembered from the 80s. Don Henley's answer rings true here. Oh, but I know a place where we can go to wash away this sin. We'll sit back and watch the clouds roll by where the tall grass waves in the wind. You can lay your head back on the ground and let your hair fall around. Offer up your best defense. The good news is that someone did that for us. It's not a cheap grace. It's not a cheap grace. It's a love that God has for all of mankind. It's a love that says, I don't want one person to perish, but all to come to a place of knowing Christ as their Savior. If you take anything from this podcast, it's to remember how much we are loved. That God gave it all, His all. He couldn't possibly give more than he's already done. That Jesus was willing to disrobe his glory and come to earth to bring redemption. 
the price that was paid. It wasn't a cheap price, no. It was everything. How can someone give their all and it not be noticed? His name, Jesus, requires a response. The act demands a decision. We are called to take up our cross and follow him. Why? Because he has a rich plan for our lives. He demonstrated his ultimate love that while we were doing horrible things, he made a way for us. He removed the guilt by providing redemption. That redemption led to grace. That grace led us into relationship. That relationship led us into a new life. That new life led us into drawing closer to the Father and fulfilling the goals and the plans He has for our lives. In many places, doors are always locked, but with our Father, the doors are always open. All we have to do is walk through. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.